0: Empty your mind. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have a sexual relations with that woman.
1: We are live. Mm. I want to start mm. off this fantastic episode by congratulating you mm-hmm. on setting the record for most field goals missed <laughs> in a playoff
0: game. Yeah, I mean I put a, I put plenty of memes on my IG, uh saying about that Mar kicker from my Cowboys. What do you miss? Four out of five or something like that? I
1: saw the I saw the video of the Manning brothers watching him miss the last one live. Yeah. And Peyton Manning just stands up and walks away. <laughs>
0: but you know what? If I was a coach, I would have made him continue kicking as well. Because he has to get through that. Unfortunately, He wouldn't make it until his last one, which thankfully the game was already out of hand and we finally slayed the dragon of Tom Brady. And hopefully his career ends on losing to the Cowboys. No, he's going
1: to go to Vegas. He's going to Vegas and uh, that'll be his last ride. Now, my Dolphins are out, so we're going to stop talking about this NFL nonsense and we're going to move on. Mm -hmm. We're going to move on to our actual topic because this is canceled teacher's talk unbelievable history I am Howlett
0: I am Garcia
1: and today we are going to talk about an, uh, a a world event that we should have talked about a long time ago Absolutely We're going to talk about the Great War mm. World War 1
0: Yeah What I like about this topic is I was talking to a friend of mine and I was I was thinking to myself why haven't we done World War 1 yet it's kind of the forgotten war, too. Because I ask a lot of people, what do you know about World War One?" They have no idea. They know about World War Two, Vietnam, Korean War. Korean War is kind of forgotten as well. And we'll talk about those wars eventually. But when I ask people what they know about World War One, whether how it started, how it ended, how influential it was, how bloody it was, all that stuff, they have no idea. I even... A friend of mine was telling me it was a trivial question in the the, the Friends T V show and they were they were confused on who started World War One or something like that. And I don't know. I think World War One should be talked about more in the lure of all the wars that have been fought in history. Now
1: when we taught US history together, mm-hmm. I actually taught more World War One than World War Two yeah, because I felt like the bigger brush strokes from World War One did carry over, so it saved me a lot more time just to teach those things during World War One. Uh, the alliance systems, a lot of the alliance systems did kind of carry over into World War Two, at least when you talk about the two sides mm-hmm. and the uh, the allies. Uh, the names would change, but the 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 main countries kind of remained the same. Now, I felt like I also felt like the stories from World War I were a lot better.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: I felt <laughs> like the stories that made World War I were a lot better than the ones from World War II the Franz Ferdinand, uh, the trenches. Right, no, man. Trench fine. foot. Yeah. No man's land, the the invention of the machine gun, or at least the use of the machine gun during the war. Mm-hmm. I felt like they were stronger stories and stories that the kids would be more interested in than the ones from World War II. Even though World War II was, you know, besides the Holocaust, was uh, a lot bloodier. I think. I think a lot of World War One was waiting, mm-hmm. and I think. The best example of that is when you look at film. I mean, you you have Saving Private Ryan. That's World War II. Mm-hmm. But then my favorite World War One movie was 1917. Yeah, and it's completely different. It's a lot of downtime. It's a lot of waiting. A lot of uh, tension. Mm-hmm. A lot of tension. And I felt like that's the biggest difference between World War One and World War Two. Now, and you're right. It is. It is kind of the forgotten war.
0: You kind of brushed up on it. Yeah, there was a lot of waiting. One of the greatest movies of all time was *Quiet* along the Western Front. I think they just did a remake of it too, and that details that that drag. But along with that drag and that kind of waiting and still fire from the Western Front along No Man's Land and the trench warfare and all that stuff, was the fact that you know twenty million people died from this war, considering the standstill between both countries between the, the the countries that were fighting. So, I see where you're coming from with the whole you know that there was a lot of uh in between time where there was nothing going on. I mean, that's kind of what the no man's land was all about. But yeah, I'm with you. There's a lot of good stories that come along with World War 1 and it should be expressed a little bit more in our in our history books in my opinion.
1: I mean, just the just the Franz Ferdinand story is fantastic. Uh we used to teach it as the spark. Right. The, right cuz i mean a lot of the a lot of the tension and a lot of the things that built up into world war 1 mm-hmm. were years in the making but the spark that started the war the, the assassination of uh, archduke franz ferdinand hit that whole that whole uh, it's almost like it could be a christopher nolan movie just the the ticking of the, the minutes and that trip that he makes <clears throat> and then he doubles back after an assassination attempt, just to get assassinated, a, you know, a se- just to set up a second attempt at an assassination, yeah. I feel like it's it's made for made for mo- a movie, and we I don't know if there's even a movie out there that goes over the assassination. Well,
0: you know, that's that's what sparks the war, like you're talking about, when Franz Ferdinand goes to Sarajevo and he is then assassinated. Just the idea that. What is considered I would say before that before his assassination he had no real implication in politics at the time I mean he was the fact that his assassination would lead to this war this great war between this these European nations, and then it would trickle down to what would be known as the the world war two and then and then uh Germany developing this insanely huge uh, Nazi party within that time within the 19 late 20s and the early 30s going into World War II just from that spark of his death I mean you're talking about hundreds that death would result into hundreds of millions of people dying due to these wars World War 1 and World War 2 but mostly World War 1
1: Yeah because I do feel like World War 2 is just an extension Exactly it's part well, two. I I want to I want to talk about that later but i i realized that i'm talking about we're talking about the assassination of of franz ferdinand and i'm going over the irony of his assassination right. and we know it the two of us know it but maybe the people that are listening don't it's an it's very simple he's he's in a motorcade he, him and his wife are traveling to the town hall in sarajevo like you said mm-hmm. And the Black Hands, the Black Hand is an assassination group. Uh, just their own; it's independent. Mm-hmm. It's not a state-sponsored group. Uh, they try to assassinate him on his way to this meeting at town at the town hall. Right. And I guess they threw what well, they threw a grenade at the car, and it bounced right. off. And when right. it goes off, it, nothing happens. But it does injure one of his his bodyguards or his the soldiers that was protecting him. Well. On the way back, on the return trip, the motorcade takes the, a wrong turn, and they end up being attacked by the Black Hand again. If it hadn't made this wrong turn, then he would have got away, and we wouldn't have had the Great War. But they happen to go the wrong way, and they get attacked by the same – the same. Uh, I don't want to call them a terrorist group because that's kind of a modern term. Right. But the same terrorist group ends up getting a second chance, right. and they, they, light, they light up the car, and they kill uh, – the Archduke and his wife, and that's what kicks off this war, mm-hmm. and a war that, like you said, will result in tens of millions of deaths, and then even more if you roll in World War uh, World War II, which I do believe is an extension, because if it wasn't for World War One, Germany wouldn't have been hit with those rep- reparations, and if they weren't hit with the reparations, uh, it wouldn't have opened the door for, you know, Adolf Hitler. To take control of Germany and then to start those dominoes that would end up leading to the start of World War II, uh, what, 25 years later?
0: One of the stories I love about, I don't want to say I love about the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and we talked about it on a previous episode, was that that group was originally going to kill the king, I guess his father, right? was originally going to kill the king and then they had like at the 11th hour decision why are we going to kill the king he's about to die in a few years anyways of old age or whatever and we got to go after his son who's going to continue the oppression on their countries and the fact that they made that switch i mean talk about a ripple effect right the domino effect of what would have happened instead if they would have killed the king what the with instead of the archduke would the world war still would have happened or how would the t- how would the tide of history change if they would have killed the king instead of the archduke it's one of those sliding mirrors uh what is that a sliding door scenario going left instead of right or right instead of left
1: i think if they if coming from an american standpoint uh we have never had a president assassinated by another country uh, or an outside force. We've only ever assassinated our own presidents. So I can just imagine that if somebody from another country killed our president, we would go to war. Mm-hmm. So if they killed if they killed uh, the king, I do think it would have started a war anyways. Right, right,
0: right. Coming from the origin, one other aspect that's not really talked about during this war, what made this war so bloody was the evolution of technology. You brought it up earlier with the machine gun. Yes. Right? They are yes. even dropping uh, grenades from planes. I mean, planes were just about 13, 14 years old at the time, maybe 12 years old at the time, and here they are used. That's how fast the evolution, we've talked a lot about the Wright brothers and, and, and the plane in general. They were already using it during World War I, not to mention these kind of crazy makeshift tanks, and, of course, the deadly, deadly um Uh, gas bombs that they were using mustard gas and nerve gas that they were using at the time this evolution in technology just shifted tremendously and it starts with world war one
1: yes i think i think machine guns we'd like to talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. because they did a lot of they did a lot of damage during Mm -hmm. world war one they were definitely a game changer but a lot of those other things like tanks you mentioned tanks they did not have as big of an effect as they would have in World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were basically just, you know, armored vehicles to clear no man's land and get over obstacles. They didn't have the cannons and stuff that you would see later. Mm -hmm. Even airplanes, a lot of them were, were basically just aerial spy craft and, then in World War Two, uh, they add machine guns to it. And they be, they become these death machines, right. and they you know Hitler. What did he bombard uh, England for like thirty straight nights or something? So that none of that would have existed if World War One had had not happened. And then you think of things like flamethrowers. Right, uh, they were used primarily for those trenches. Mm-hmm. And I it's just crazy to think that when your back is against the wall, what we'll kind of uh, technology you can come up with it's like almost only in wartime do we come up with these crazy weapons of
0: course and it's interesting because you remember i always go to your room hey do you have my gun (laughs) and i would use the yardstick ruler as my gun and i would show the kids look the evolution between the spanish-american war which we'll talk about eventually and world war one which is about 15 years Uh, 10 to 15 years is tremendous i mean in the spanish-american war and earlier they were using rifles where it was a single bullet where they would have to just to load their gun was a huge process and they had to have a bayonet at the end because loading the gun was sometimes inefficient and you had to know how to actually use the gun in combat in striking form versus actually shooting a bullet because like i said it took time to load we went from that one, uh, bayonet gun to, like you said, m- uh, machine guns and flamethrowers and, and grenades and, and such and such that there were still countries when this world war started in the very beginning that were going to this war with still with the bayonet and swords. And those countries got slaughtered within an instant because of the, the evolution of technology in weaponry. So you're right when you say there's something about warfare where technology just speeds up and sh- has like a, a huge shift into what we know, normally know uh, that we normally use for our arm and weaponry.
1: Yeah, I think uh, like I said, obviously you can tell that the two of us uh, we enjoy talking about World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we could talk about for a long time, and it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick things. Uh, that can fit into such a small time frame that we have. Right. Uh, I like to teach America from a, a non-American standpoint. I think we kind of touched on my my mentality a little bit last episode, but I think it's kind of chicken shit that America steps up so late. And we take advantage of this this neutrality and this isolationism that we have, and then we come we come out of it looking like the heroes right. because we rode in our, on our on our horses and and tipped the balance of the war. But at the end of the day, I I don't think enough credit is given to countries like France and England who stuck it out the whole time. And and it's the same story in World War Two. Yeah,
0: and I remember. My first teaching job. There was a little athletic store. I had to go buy basketballs for the team, for the girls' basketball team, and they had apparel. And one of the T-shirts says "Team America Two and O in World Wars," <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, "Exactly what you said." Really, I was, you know, if we if we know the history in both wars, actually, but more in the in the First World War. When America comes in because of the sinking of Lusitania and all these uh, telegrams going to Mexico from Germany and such, Germany and Britain, they were already tired. They were already in this war about four or five years. 10 to 15 to 20 million people already dying from from, uh, trench warfare. And then America comes in, like you said, on their horse and then just finishes the job. A brand new, fresh, well-armored, Military comes in and it's just it's just too much. And at that time, Germany is forced to retreat, or I guess you can say, call off the war. At that time, yeah, at they tap tr- out. Yeah, it's, they tap out.
1: It's like allowing Mayweather and Pacquiao to go thirty rounds, and then I walk in after one right, of them gets it. knocked out. <laughs> <And> you <laughs> right, yeah. probably still getting. And knocked I'm out. the heavy <laughs> uh, I'm the I'm the champion of the world. Exactly. It's like. Uh, sucker punching your boy canelo it's happened and then and <laughs> i i watched i watched what's his name try to sucker punch canelo <laughs> and then got a, a one two yeah at the end of the day <laughs> uh, i think that i do think that in world war one and world war two that england england deserves a lot of credit they mm-hmm. they kind of they toughed it out both times, right. and they went to the brink of of defeat. And yes, America came in when they needed them the most. You also got to talk about right. Russia or the Soviet Union, and they, as much as uh, you know, they don't get enough credit either. There's a reason yeah. why I think Russia hates us.
0: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we think we think we're the best. You know. One other aspect I want to talk about is that trench warfare. You talk about mother this is one of those war where Mother Nature took over. And that's why I want to close Absolutely. this first session of this podcast on because nobody really talks about that enough. You got to realize the trenches that they were in, the weather that that it was in, these trenches, these holes in earth that they created many kilometers long along the western front. It was muddy. They had to use the restroom there, it was raining and it was cold and they mother nature just took over. Trench foot, when I show that famous image of trench foot to the kids, their minds get blown, and I think that is one part of World War One that is not really talked about. Along of these fifteen to twenty million people that died, a big portion of it had to do because Mother Nature just kicked their ass.
1: Yeah. So I was trying to think of the video, the name of the video that we used to show. Mm-hmm. I know that it was called the Great War, and it was like Eddie Eddie Rydell or some somebody like that, and he used to do this whole documentary on what he called the Great War, and he shows uh, trench foot, and I we used to show it to the kids, and it's it's like that gnarled, zombified foot where all the 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 meat is has fallen right, off yeah, because of yeah. the gang the gangrene has set in and it just hits the kids like a a left cross right and it knocks it you know it's it's crazy but you think about it uh, they're sitting in these holes and they're scared for their lives if they stick their heads out you know they're gonna get they're inviting that fire right. uh, the, the gunfire and so they're basically just living in a hole and they they go to the bathroom in the hole right uh, people die and their bodies sit in the hole. Right. You have rats, right. and then when it starts to rain, it floods. Right. And if you've got, you know, any kind of cut in your foot, you can—I mean, I could see where you can get uh, that sepsis and the the, you know, the diseases and the infections. Yeah. So it makes sense, and I do think that this idea of trench foot is is crazy, mm. but it also goes back to it all lends itself. To that idea that a lot of this war was just chilling. It was just hanging out in a hole because, you know, trench warfare slowed the war down considerably. I think it would have have been a lot faster if, if it wasn't for trenches.
0: Yeah, I show that video. I show the images of the trench foot amongst other things. And yeah, the kids get startled and rattled because it's one of those images that you don't even think happens. Like how is that even possible? But and 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 the other thing is sometimes when you're using new technology, like during this World War One, you're kind of learning on the fly. You know, trenches was not really a major way of fighting until World War One, and they were learning on the fly. And unfortunately in that part of Europe on the Western Front, you know, it was cold, it was raining and such, and they their uniforms weren't made for trenches. They were still using regular regular um, boots instead of duck boots and unfortunately that would claim a lot of their soldiers getting trench foot amongst other things bacterial infections and such and such so that is usually a part of the war that that is often not really talked about the, the mother nature part but it was a huge aspect in my opinion during world war one
1: yeah and Definitely, between machine guns and trenches, I think those are the two biggest things to take away from World War One. Uh, outside of the whole alliance thing, yeah. the cliques, yeah. this idea that we're getting more globalized, and we have to stick with our friends, right. and I think those are the biggest things. Right, right,
0: and it worked out, because if Britain didn't have America to as an ally, who knows how this war would have turned out, but...
1: I think it's funny. I think it's funny how France helped us whoop the crap out of of England Mm -hmm. during the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. And then we refused to help France later on. And next thing you know, the three of us are like
0: the best friends in the world. I think uh, when you have a huge foe, like what Germany was becoming at the time, uh, Austria Hungary, I think there's a huge, huge will to. Find other, you know, I don't, I don't want to say you're like friends, but that's what allies are. Find something in other countries where you can unify and get that representation and backup. So in case there is a war, I mean, it's just smart business, right? If you're going to go into war, you just don't want to go at it. You need that backup. You need that plan B just in case things aren't working out or C or D or whatever. And I think them having building that alliance over the over the years before preluding to World War One was essential for Britain to pull off this huge win over Germany and their uh, Axis of Evil.
1: Well, I know we talk a lot about battles, and uh, World War One doesn't have as many significant battles as World War Two, but uh, that's something that you know we like to look at, mm-hmm. and I think that's the the best pivot. That we could possibly get is instead of talking about the significant battles of World War One or the significant battles of World War II or even the most significant battles in the history of the world, I think the more interesting idea is what are the craziest or the most absurd or the weirdest battles? I think that is a better question.
0: Yeah, I like that. What do you think? Okay, so who went first last time? Did you go first or did I go first? I don't remember. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Then. You, you take it away.
1: I think here we go. I think we're gonna cross over. I'm saying it.
0: I'm saying I think it. so too. Honestly, I think so too. But I. Um, okay. All right. Let's just do it. If We cross over. We cross over. What can we do? Okay. I am going with actually World War One. And I'm going with a Christmas truce of 1914. Did I hit you?
1: I've never, I've never heard of it.
0: Okay, so
1: let's hear. It. Let's so,
0: hear it. by the way, one thing that's also not talked about with World War One, and and this is often with, with pretty common with other wars, is that they usually feel like there's a deadline. Remember with uh, Russia and Ukraine, they thought, oh, it's not going to last that long. That Russia will blow them off the map, but it's already prolonging, right? Um, they originally thought World War One would end by Christmas. And unfortunately, it was it was obvious that it was not because there was that standstill over over no man's land and the Western Front between Britain uh, Britain and Germany, but a lot of the the civilians that were back at home that were away from the war, especially the mothers and 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 the women, they kind of they had a request, and there was the request was let's not have any killings on Christmas. Well naturally both sides agreed and kind of disagreed and they would go back and forth and it wasn't until the new pope at the time Benedict Benedict the 15th he would actually request that there be a ceasefire coincidentally on December 7th as well you know December 7th Pearl Harbor and they're not connected but but you know even his declaration there was a lot of pushback then on uh, December 23rd, the Germans would all of a sudden, they would hear of this thing. And the Brit- and the British people would hear about it as well throughout the month. But on December 23rd, the Germans would start singing carols uh, along in their, in their trenches. And it would be heard across no man's land. Now, this is what boggles my mind. I can't believe there hasn't been a movie based on this yet. Maybe there has been. I haven't seen it yet, but go ahead.
1: Greatest Christmas movie of all time. It It should be, be.
0: right? So eventually on Christmas Eve, a German soldier would shout across no man's land. And he would say, tomorrow you no shoot, we no shoot. So after a strange silence, all of a sudden, the British soldiers, uh, the German soldiers would emerge from their trenches the British. Some were hesitant. They were like, "Okay, are they are they going to come out and then ambush us?" But eventually, they would meet in the middle, and it felt like they were old friends. They would give gifts to each other. They would have conversations, and then the, the what makes it interesting is somebody will bring out a soccer ball, and they would just commence. Hundreds of soldiers battling and just playing soccer, just kicking the ball around. And it was two countries that had spent months already trying to kill each other were unified for that one moment, for that one day. Now, don't get me wrong, the Western Front was huge. And there was some part of the Western Front where they weren't fighting. But for this one little section of that area, they were playing soccer. And they did. and, And then there's also another story that says, They actually got a game going on between the Germans and the Saxon or the Scottish people. And the Scottish won won three to two. But it was just a moment of unity. And the question I want to ask you is, the next day, they went right back to killing each other. Like nothing had happened. How would you have, if you're on the British side, I wouldn't assume you being on the German side. But do you think how difficult would it be for you after sharing moments and laughs and and food and and a moment of uh, of playing soccer or or activity and then you just go back the next day like nothing happened? How would you have reacted to that?
1: It depends on whether I won or lost that game of football because I (laughs) I hate losing. So if I got my ass kicked in soccer, give me a gun because I'll win that one. And if I hey, but look, that one, the
0: Saxon one supposedly three to two and you're on the Saxon side. So yeah. if you would have won,
1: it would, I don't know. It would have depend on who, who attacked first. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you're right. I don't think it's hard. It's hard. I have my, I, I switched my list around when I heard yours, because there's one that is very similar to yours. Uh, mm-hmm. I do like yours. I feel like it's a great story. It's weird. It's, it's strange. It's weird. I'll give it to you. And I'm surprised too. It's made for TV or made for, for film uh, uh, story.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I don't know. When I heard this story, I've heard of this story before. But when I was doing research on it, I what captivated me most was not so much the soccer or them getting together. But just the idea like, all right, I'll kill you tomorrow. To me, that's just offsetting. It's weird in my opinion. So that is my number four.
1: I'm going to link my number four to your number four. In World War Two, the war, the Germans had already surrendered; like it was over. The war was done. Hitler had already committed suicide, and Mm -hmm. you know the Allies are riding off to victory. Okay. Well, last ditch effort, the SS ordered the assassination of a group of uh, uh, prisoners at a castle. A castle... Uh, I'm trying to find the name here. Castle Itter. Itter. I-T-T-E-R. And I guess there was some high-ranking individuals being held prisoner there. And there were a bunch of soldiers. There was a bunch of soldiers, German soldiers, uh, guarding these these, uh, these prisoners. Now, the German SS were going to storm the castle and and kill them all. Well, it just so happened that the Americans... Where they had got there before the SS and they were planning on defending this castle from the you know these uh the SS soldiers that were gonna kill these innocent people. And the German soldiers stepped up and they fought with the Americans, knowing that the war was over, knowing that Germany had surrendered, that there was no reason for these these prisoners to be killed, that this is all Stupid! It's all worthless. It's all uh, insane. And fourteen American soldiers and ten German soldiers fought off and defeated the German SS in order to protect these uh, these prisoners. I guess there were prime ministers, French prime ministers, uh, that were being held prisoners. So you're talking about Germans and uh, you know British coming together for Christmas and enjoying a moment of. Uh, camaraderie, and then going back to killing each other. Well, I offer you up a moment where Germans sided with the Americans in order to defeat the Nazis during World War II.
0: Well, yeah, I like that pick because it tells a part of the story of World War II that's not often talked about. And I don't know. I, I think that's a great pick. So that's a good call on that one.
1: I went low-key on my first one. It was... I think it was my fifth man, but I moved it into my main. So we're gonna flip one out because it de- it went well with yours. Uh, Germans, yeah, they do get a bad rap because of the whole Hitler thing. Because uh, because of the whole Hitler thing, because of the Nazis. Not all German soldiers were Nazis, and some of them were strictly there because they were being uh forced to be there. And at the end of the day, you know, there were German soldiers that knew right from wrong. And the SS and the German soldiers are not the same thing. And I think that they do need to give a little bit of credit uh, for at least at the end of the day stepping up when uh, they were being forced to do something that they knew was wrong. So that was my number four. It is your Mm -hmm. number three. Let's hear it.
0: So my number three is a Western war in 1865 between Uruguay and Brazil. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a comical approach. What's up?
1: I saw this one. Yeah. I saw it. Let's, let's hear it. Well,
0: Brazil was known for having this amazing navy, as well as Uruguay at the time. Now, they were in a navy war. And during this one major battle between, of course, Uruguay, Uruguay would actually run out of cannonballs. And they were like, holy shit, what are we going to do? They had no resort left. And here was Brazil with this, this brigade coming and they knew they had to make a move. And unfortunately, the only thing of substance was they would start to shoot these big old cheese balls towards the Brazilian Navy ship. And within that, within shooting that, they would actually break off one of the main masts of the Brazilian ship and even killing soldiers, forcing Brazil to retreat. It was funny because the Brazilians were so embarrassed by this loss that they would go back to shore, talk to their captains, to their generals, and tell them they made up a total lie saying that their boats were taken down by sea monsters and not by cheese. So that is my number three.
1: I like that. I like that. So Big Cheese War. I'm going to offer up your... I'm gonna big cheese. I'm gonna offer up your cheese war with the pastry war.
0: <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, in
1: 1826, Mexico City. This mm, is right up your alley. Right. There was a French pastry chef who had a small cafe in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Well, during a riot, he petitioned Mexican officials for protection. Unfortunately his pastry shop, his small cafe, was destroyed. Now, he went to his actual home country, France, and said that the Mexican government did not protect his small cafe and that he wanted compensation for the destruction of uh, this French cafe. Mm -hmm. And a decade later, King Louis used this destruction of this French pastry cafe as a reason to... Force Mexico to repay six hundred thousand pesos to this Frenchman. Wow! Well, obviously Mexico uh, did not pay back six hundred thousand pesos, mm-hmm. and King Louis declared war mm-hmm. because of a because dis- dis- the destruction of a pastry shop. <laughs> and the French fleet arrived in Mexico. They blockaded the uh, the city and. They forced uh, the Mexican government after they refused to pay up. They did stand their ground yeah. because you know they are American and Americans never you know give up right away, even if it's something ridiculous. Right. So Mexico didn't give up. Uh, Two hundred fifty soldiers were killed, and at the end of the day, the Mexican government paid six hundred thousand pesos and. I don't know if the pastry shop was ever rebuilt, but because of the destruction of pastries, <laughs> France and Mexico went to war.
0: You know, what one of my biggest fears in life, I'm about to reveal a lot about myself, I'll keep it short, is dying stupid. Now, imagine being a soldier. You know, you, you know you're a soldier and you die, you die for honor no matter what the cause. But dying for a baguette or croissant? <laughs> Uh, in my opinion, I don't know if I, if I'm a soldier, I'm a dedicated soldier to my country. I think I would back out because that would be one of the dumb ways to die, in my opinion.
1: So, according to statistics, that's eight hundred and eleven thousand dollars in today's money. Wow. Yeah. They went to war over eight hundred thousand dollars. I don't even think that's enough. I don't think that's that's not even that much.
0: Yeah. No, that's a that's a I good call. That's, stupid. that's uh, you know, Brazilians died from cheese and Mexicans died from pastries, baguettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, baguettes can be hard and tricky. Hey, yeah.
1: French pastries are not bad.
0: <laughs> I agree. I went through a croissant phase a couple of years ago. Didn't end well, by the way. All right, story so, for another time. Story. Yeah, story what is for another your number time? two. My story like is how- No, Go ahead.
1: I like how we're we're lining up. We're very, very symmetrical today. Symmetrical. I like that.
0: My number two is the Aztec-Spanish War of Tenochtitlan. Here I go again.
1: Here we go again.
0: (laughs) Well, this was, okay. What makes this war weird or interesting is because it was a war between the Stone Age versus the Iron Age. And very few times in history, I don't even think this was a thing, but considering this was only about 500 years ago, you're just seeing two complete different eras clash for the first time. So, the Europeans and the Spanish come over, mostly the Spanish, right? And introducing rape and smallpox to Mexico or Tenochtitlan, uh, the empire was already dying off. Due to smallpox, you know, it was already the Spanish got there in 1519. And by 1521, you're talking about 15 to 20 million people in the Mexico region would die of smallpox and warfare. But, you know, Cortez, we need to have an episode about him and his brother. When Cortez comes over from Spain, he would see Tenochtitlan as this beautiful empire that it was. And he would go back. He would take a couple of Aztec soldiers and and take them back to Europe. One was known as La Malinche. She's uh, kind of known as a translator between the Aztecs and the Spanish. Long story short, she is kind of like a bad person in Mexico because she kind of like ratted out, right? And are sold out. Well, anyways... Years later, in 1521, as a matter of fact, May 22nd of 1521, Cortez would come back with 800 conquistadors. And by that time, many of the Spanish people would go along Mexico around the, the, the neighboring tribes and convince them to attack the Aztecs. Now, you got to realize the Aztecs were not the most likable tribe. The neighboring tribes that they would take a lot of their soldiers from or a lot of their warriors from and sacrifice and trade over to the Aztecs left a bitter taste in those neighboring tribes' mouth and they wanted to help the Spanish conquer the Aztecs. And you're talking about tens of thousands of those warriors from neighboring tribes coming over and destroying the Aztecs. Now what makes it weird is the fact that when the Aztecs saw Coming from these boats, from the hills, down to the canal channels, into Tenochtitlan, they would see two major inventions Now we just talked about in World War I, technology. The Spanish would send off these big old booms in the air, lighting up the sky, as in cannons. And they have never even seen or heard a cannon. And the Aztecs were just like, stopped and believed. They actually thought it was their gods firing down upon them. Now... So imagine the psyche of these Aztecs when they see and hear such an an explosion in, in the sky. The other thing was that the conquistadors brought in horses. And they had never seen a horse before. They never seen a beast that big before. And what made it more complexing for the Aztecs was that these conquistadors, they were dressed in their armor and the horses had the same armor on as well. So, for a lot of these Aztecs, they had never even seen that on a horse or a horse or they hadn't even seen iron before. They thought it was like a half man, half beast. So, you know, the war, and like I said, it was a battle between the Stone Age and Iron Age. They had their guns, they had their swords, while the Aztecs were pretty much just throwing rocks. And they had the macawit, which was a wooden paddle with uh, obsidian blades on the side. But it was just too much of a mismatch, considering how outnumbered the Spanish were. But
1: now it always interested me, and you were 100%. You hit it right on the head. This idea that you have this highly advanced, I'm not going to say highly advanced, more advanced civilization showing up with things that these more primitive cultures. Had mm-hmm. and they had they had never seen before right what to be an Aztec or a Mayan or one of those civilizations and watching the Spanish come over with their armor and and their weapons uh that oh, man they um, they they had to have looked like gods
0: and that's that's what it was when they saw the cannons exploding in the sky, they thought a large part of them thought it was their gods reacting to this war. You know, some Aztecs you, were motivated. How do you even fight that? I know. How do
1: you even fight that?
0: I know. I know. And, and, you know, there's more to the story with Montezuma being uh, assassinated by his own people, but that's conversation for another day. But yeah, it was just a complete battle of just two eras of technology clashing at the perfect time. And the Aztecs really had no answer for that, considering they outnumbered the Spanish, like I mentioned before. But yeah, I mean, was it a necessary evil to happen? I don't know. I don't know to be honest with you. But yeah.
1: Well, neither of us would be sitting here today if it didn't happen. Exactly.
0: Interesting. All right. So that is my number 2.
1: I'm going to offer up I'm going to offer up a similar take. Yeah. For my number 2, I'm going to I'm going to bring forward a war or a battle. It's a battle mm-hmm. between one highly advanced civilization and a Normal, advanced civilization. I'm going to bring up aliens.
0: Aliens? Aliens. Okay, we're going fiction?
1: February 24th. February 25th, 1942. The Battle of Los Angeles.
0: Oh, I saw that. And I was doing research. I was like, you know what? And I I have it written down. You can look at my notes. And I was like, you know what? Howlett should do that one. And I hope he yes. does. So I'm glad you do so- it. I'm glad you're doing
1: it. Southern California boy, got to do the Southern California. Yeah, Battle of Los Angeles. It's also known as the Great Los Angeles Air Raid. Now, during the Second World War, there was a lot of paranoia about Japan attacking the West Coast. Because they had already attacked Pearl Harbor. And who knows how further? How much further they're going to advance on uh, U.S. territory? Yeah. And Los Angeles is, you know, arguably the biggest city on the West Coast. There's a couple that are were also really big targets, mm-hmm. but LA is, you know, numero, numero uno. And in the middle of the night, late February 24th or early February 25th, however you want to say it, uh, we have a unfortunate incident. So in the sky, people said that they saw 25 lights that were aircrafts. Right, and right. They set, they set off, the city set off the air raid sirens because they thought the Japanese were attacking Los <laughs> Angeles. Mm-hmm. Well, Americans started firing their machine guns, and they started firing anti-aircraft shells. And we're talking uh, the the military, not actual civilians. Right. Uh, the military started firing machine guns and aircraft shells. They fired over fourteen hundred shells into into the night sky at these lights. Right. Five five people would be killed. Two just because of these sounds, the the explosions causing heart attacks or whatever killed two people, and three others died in in uh, unknown ways. At least unknown by me. And there was nothing there. Right, right. There was nothing that there. there was no Japanese attack. Yeah. So they were literally firing at twenty five lights that people t- somehow were imagining mm-hmm. that these soldiers shot at for, you know, all this time that didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And there's a a huge conspiracy theory that it was extraterrestrials, it was UFOs, and that the reason why they never. Uh, they never found a downed aircraft because we were firing with our prim- primitive technology and we couldn't damage their their far more advanced ships. Uh, there was also a conspiracy that the reason why the Japanese were able to get away is because they secretly had a base in Mexico. And obviously that wasn't true either. So who knows what these lights were. But all we know is that we s- shot 1,400 uh, you know, anti-aircraft shells and who knows how many uh, bullets into the sky for no reason at all. That just goes to show how stupid (laughs) Californians are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people were trying to move out then, you know, so. Yeah, there it is, we're done. For 80 years already, but no, I'm glad you picked up on that one, man. I'm very, uh, I was like, I really hope he does it because I would hate to even leave it out of the Mount Rushmore. So good call. Is that one of those also yeah, the, dying dumb? Say that again. Is that one of those issues where you know it's like, man, I died in a stupid way?
1: Yeah. If you were one of those five people, you got to be thinking it better. It better be aliens, because mm-hmm. if this is the end of the world, I died for a good cause. But if it, if this was nothing, yeah, then you'll be sitting looking down from the pearly gates, thinking, man,
0: my mom's gonna kill me. <laughs> Okay. All right. Very good pick. Very good pick. I'm glad you got it. So my number one, right? Drum roll. I'm going the Children's Crusade. The
1: Children's Crusade.
0: Take me away. So Tell
1: me why it deserves to be your number one.
0: You know, I've taught uh, world geography. I've taught world history. I've taught American history. All that stuff. And this is coming from the Crusades, you know, the Christians versus the Muslims, right? Some, you know, it lasted for centuries. It was a medieval war. Uh, this will be the, uh, I guess, where they start using the cross. So if you're a cross-square, like me, it starts from the Crusades. You know, some people still say a variation or a, a, a form of the Crusades is still going on today with all these religious wars still going on. But I, digre- I digress. So... There were eight to nine crusades that happened during this era. And my favorite one has always been the child, the Children's Crusade of 1212. Now, now there's a lot of truth and myth to this battle. But for one thing, for sure, it, there was tragedy. Now, it, it is claimed that there was a boy named Stephen O'Cloy's. And uh, one day, he was attending to his flock. And all of a sudden, a man shows up and asks for food. And long story short, uh, he feeds the guy and that guy would tell him, guess what? I'm Jesus Christ. OK, now imagine as a little 10 to 12 year old little boy, what you're thinking, especially at that time, right? You know, where naivety was very common back of technology and information at the time. Well, he asked the little kid, he asked Stephen, can you deliver this letter to the king? And he's like, yes, sir. Yes, Jesus Christ, right? Fear God, all that stuff. So he grabs a bunch of his kids, his friends, and a couple of people from around the community. And they march all the way to where the French king resided from. And he will give this letter. And this is where the whole mythology kind of happens. But there is some testament that it did happen. Uh, supposedly, the king would tell the kid, I am going to send you and your people along with others. And supposedly thousands of people went with him on this crusade. And they told him, you are to lead, you and these children and all these others are to lead to go down south to the Mediterranean Sea and give the word of God and convert as many people to Christianity as possible. Now, it's later disputed that most of the people that the king sent were these marginalized adults, kind of out on luck. They were kind of homeless. They were sick, that kind of thing. And it was his way of getting rid of them. And he would attach them to these children that would go on to this crusade. And unfortunately, what would end up happening is a lot of these kids would get executed. A lot of them would get robbed. And some did not even return and nobody's no nobody ever knew about their whereabouts it is debated if this thing actually happened but supposedly it was a main catalyst it was a main catalyst for the future Crusades as they would use it as a kind of like a rallying cry for the war with religion so that is my number one
1: that's a that's a pretty deep number one
0: <laughs> and, and it's another one there's there's no movie based on it I think all our picks should be movies.
1: Now, you just—you left me speechless. It's, <laughs> like it's not even weird. That's just like serious.
0: Yeah, children, ten, twelve-year-olds, and a bunch of uh, adults that were forgotten about. But yeah, it's a it's a deep one. I got a question. Mm-hmm.
1: It was if it was successful, mm-hmm. and they and the Europeans managed to actually establish a secondary Jerusalem. Right. Would we still be fighting over that land today?
0: Absolutely. I think uh the Muz you know, the nation of uh, Islam would have responded and I think it might it might be totally different than what it is today, but I do think that it would still be carrying on for sure. Absolutely. Territory is, is is number one and the holy land, come on. People want to put their name on that, whether you believe in it or not. They do,
1: and like you said. If it established the the later crusades, uh, that's a lot of death. Right, a lot right. of death. Absolutely. And it started with children.
0: Mm. Well, it didn't start. It was I? Like, they think it was like the third or fourth crusade, if I'm not mistaken. Okay,
1: well, it's it was ushered forth, and right?
0: Absolutely, it was children. definitely an inspiration. So, anyways, what is your number one?
1: okay so my number one Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it before it is fantastic and we could not do a list of the weirdest battles or wars of all time and not include this one and i remember we talked about this before school one day we just couldn't help but think that this can't be real right right but we are talking about the great emu war
0: oh I've heard about this and we, yeah, you're right. We definitely talked about this. Love it. Go for it. Hit me. And it's
1: serious. 100% serious. Just stay with me for a second, the people that are listening at home, because it is weird. Okay, so in November 1932 through no- December 1932, Australia was having an issue with their emu wildlife. And their emu wildlife was damaging the crops. And there was just too many emus. So the government of Australia put out a bounty, so to speak, on the emus. And they officially declared war. They deployed soldiers with machine guns to take out the the emus, the wild emus. Now they did not expect the emus to be as fast and as agile <laughs> and to be as ruthless as emus could be. What is and happening? The emu- <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> the emus, the emus broke up into smaller groups of emus. Instead of staying together as one giant group and getting picked off, they broke up into small groups and they attacked. They ran and they attacked. Now, It just so happens that the emus are too fast for the Australian machine guns to hit. And the Australian military lost. The Australian military lost. They had to admit their defeat and they'd have to run back home with their tail between their legs, defeated by a group of giant birds.
0: You know... I, I gotta give it to Australia because that should really, them losing that battle. The fact, hold on. First of all, the fact that these emus were able to strategize that way blows my mind. Yeah. Genius. But <laughs> the fact that Australia, that's forgotten. Australia did a great job of, of, of not letting that be their who, you know, that stain on their country's flag. So it should be it should be their flag.
1: Their flag should should be a giant emu emu (laughs) on it. It should be a giant emu. But we already know if there's one place that Garcia will not go, it is Australia. Because when you go to Australia, things want to kill you.
0: Uh, that and giant spiders. And I am not a spider guy.
1: Absolutely, and they do have some giant spiders. Let me ask you. Well, that is my.
0: Go ahead. At the birth of America, or when it's still establishing, they would have lost to. A gaggle of turkeys. <laughs> Could oh. America become Thanks- like what it is today?
1: Thanksgiving would have a whole nother meaning,
0: right? You know, turkey was almost our national bird. Uh, your boy Benny Frank's wanted it to to be our our nation's bird, and
1: that that's a shame because there's nothing that a turkey it doesn't scream. Uh, cool or agile or fierce and it can't fly, so it can't that whole birds flying equals freedom kind of thing, the freedom of the skies. Yeah, that would have been bad. Uh, No. That's why Australia is never taken seriously.
0: Right. And it can never be because of that battle.
1: Exactly. It's worse than the pastry war. It's worse than the cheese war. It is the emu war. Wow.
0: You know what's crazy, man, is that yeah. You, you, and if you were ever to get in a war with Australia and I, like, I'm in the Philippines. It's like right here. Most of the foreigners that are here are from Australia, by the way, but you cannot be the country that loses to a country that lost to emus.
1: If we were picking teams, Australia would have to go last.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Good pick. All right. Let's do our sixth man or fifth man, whatever you want to call it.
1: Our fifth man. What is your fifth man?
0: I'm going to go UFC 3. <clears throat> <laughs> now, you the early evolution, I remember watching this when UFC first came out. It was a new thing. We we're all excited because, hey, it was Bloodsport, the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, but real. So I remember watching the first five live with Ken Shamrock and all those guys, right? Uh, uh, Royce Gracie, all those guys. But the one that the 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 one that stood out to me was the fact that UFC the early part there were no weight classes. And one of the first mismatch battles or anomalies or weird battles that I saw was between Emmanuel Yarborough versus Keith Hackney. Now, what made it interesting was that it was a sumo wrestler versus a taekwondo fighter. I remember that Yarborough. Yeah, Yarborough was a six foot eight, six hundred pound behemoth of a man versus a regular two hundred pound average height guy. And what made it interesting was that Hackney would win by TKO in the first round with a flurry of punches, making the sumo wrestler tap out.
1: Yep, because they're slow. Summers are slow. It should have been easy. Just because he's big doesn't mean he's gonna be strong.
0: There was one I saw. I remember this uh, Japanese fighter, if I'm not mistaken, huge guy, also, and he just uh, sat on the dude until it was over. It wasn't in USC. I, I think it was one of the other fights. But yeah,
1: Roy, Roy, Big Country Nelson just sat on Kimbo Slice, and he won that one fight. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I remember that fight. It was weird, and that's why there's weight classes now, and it just makes more sense that way.
0: The, I get it. Yeah, I get it. By the way, they would uh, name Keith Hackney the giant killer because of that. And he would lose to Royce Gracie in the next round, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, that is the my sixth man. And uh, Yarborough would die in 2015 of heart attack, obviously.
1: That was a great six man. I, I'm not going to lie. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Now, my six man, which was on my list, but it's not anymore, was... The War of the stray dog now there was a Greek it was a Greek a Greek Bulgarian war and uh, they drew a line in the sands this was the ni- early 1900s mm-hmm. and a Greek soldier crossed over the lines to chase after his dog and he gets shot and murdered and it starts a war uh, and all because his dog got loose and the war of the stray dog that's it that's my that was my fifth man
0: Wow good call. I love our Rushmore. That was a fun one. I thought good. we were going to cross over.
1: We didn't. We did have some close ones, but right. they were they were pretty spread out. Right. It was a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad uh, you make me want to go back and look at some of these. I was thinking you did UFC, and it just opens up a whole avenue. We could have gone down like football like we could have done weird football games like well, i guarantee you there's some out there
0: you brought up a good point last week that we're not a film podcast and i was like you know what if i'm going to do a fun one the ufc you know we are we are teetering on becoming a film and sports podcast so i kind of wanted to lay low a little bit
1: yeah so. and we did we actually went through i did mention 1917 i mentioned the <clears> same <throat> and Ryan that's okay that's briefly. okay that's okay but we did really good. The first first episode in a long time that we didn't touch on uh, film. Yeah, entertainment. And I do enjoy. I do enjoy talking uh, history, regular sports, history. Of course. Uh, and there's there's plenty of history to talk, and sports are part of history. Yes, and film are part of history, and music's part of history. So. Yeah, we might venture out and do some, some non-history, but it's all history. It's all there. It, right. It changes. It's the legacy of the people. This a good episode, though.
0: I love it. This is probably one of my favorites that we've done.
1: Yep. We've done D-Day. Now we've done World War I. Uh, what other battles can we go through? I mean, we need to go world world history and do a, a, a world history battle. I would love to talk to the Egyptians. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that would be a good one. We could talk. The uh, first
0: celebrity couple, Cleopatra and Julia
1: I heard she wasn't that good looking. I heard that they did the little mock-up.
0: I hope she's... not, man. I hope not because <laughs> supposedly she's like the greatest dying piece who ever lived.
1: Yeah, back in the day. Like <laughs> I guarantee you, I guarantee you a thousand years from now, they're going to be looking at Kim Kardashian like, really? Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then again, she is kind of whack, in my opinion. But anyway, I don't,
1: I don't think he's that good looking either.
0: Yeah, it's not my taste.
1: Well, hey, it was a good one. So, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for it? If we're not back in five minutes, just wait longer. Just wait longer.